Thank you for tuning into the fourth episode of the Shorewood Public Library's podcast, The Shorewood Stacks. I'm Lisa Quintero, young adult librarian. I'm Nick Barron, patron and sometimes volunteer. Today we'll be talking about what Nick has been reading, what our clerk Kate has been reading, our virtual events, and what's been going on at the library. So Nick, how have you been doing uh, the last week or so? I've been doing really well. How are you? doing all right. We started curbside pickup this week on Monday. And how's that been going? Uh, It's been going well. The first day was kind of crazy. Um, The phones were ringing off the hook, but as it's gone on, it seems like we are finding our groove and, you know, are able to do some more personalized requests for people. So if you call in and you say, you know, I don't know what to read, but I want five mystery books, like it seems more doable now, whereas the first day it was more taking exact titles from people because there were just so many phone calls. But we're really excited to be offering the service and I look forward to speaking to more of our patrons regularly now that we're back at the library. Exciting stuff. Yeah. From the stacks. I have a very special guest here with me today um, and I will let her introduce herself. Hi, I'm Kate. You guys might know me from the front desk of the Shorewood Library, where I am a clerk, but I am also the administrative assistant at McFliss, the Milwaukee County Federated Library System, where I do a lot of help desk questions. It's great to have you here, Kate. So you wanted to talk to us a little bit about what you've been reading. Tell me what you've been reading recently. Well, I've been reading Until We Reckon by Danielle Sered, um, which is about violence, mass incarceration, and the road to repair. Um, Essentially, it is about restorative justice and some ideas for what we can do with our prison system that is not just locking people up and throwing away the key, um, which doesn't encourage people to take responsibility for their actions in any way, and it certainly doesn't improve anything over the long haul. Yeah. Um, how did you come upon this book? Well, actually, it was recommended to me by um, my sister who works at the ACLU of Wisconsin and uh, does a lot with the prison system. Cool. Uh, yeah, it sounds it sounded really interesting. I was reading the description. It sounded kind of similar to maybe um, Michelle Alexander's The New Jim Crow. Does it cover a lot of the same kind of ground? It doesn't quite... It, builds off of the new Jim Crow in a lot of ways. Uh, Okay. In um, this is more the new Jim Crow is what happens after incarceration. A lot of the time, this is Mm -hmm. we could improve the system as we get to incarceration. So like, you know, when, when somebody is accused of a crime, what happens from there? And like, what's a different road we could take? That's not, you know, because the new Jim Crow really, cogently establishes that, you know, this is a new kind of slavery that we're forcing people into in this country. Mm-hmm. And so uh, Sred acknowledges that that has been established in that book, and you should absolutely read that book. She also refers a lot to Just Mercy by Brian Stevenson, which is another okay. great book on the subject. Um, and uh, she's building off of those earlier works. So can you explain what restorative justice is for people who might not know exactly what those terms mean? Sure. Um, So restorative justice is a way that you can, um, you know, make, first of all, you start by facing the victim. Um, So a lot of times somebody commits a crime against somebody and we say, you know, the prosecutor is standing in for the victim and 
we're putting you in prison for the sake of the victim. But nothing ever happens with the victim that, you know, makes the crime right. Um, obviously, you can never make a crime right, but to try to make amends for a crime. So restorative justice is a way that you can, you know, if you stole from somebody, you find a way to pay them back what you stole from them. If you hurt somebody, you meet with them, you discuss what, you know, the way that you hurt them, you, you find ways to make amends. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I listen to this podcast called Ear Hustle a lot, and that's about, you know, prisoners at San Quentin Prison, and they do a lot of restorative justice work, and they they talk about, like, circles where they talk with victims and, and kind of process through what happened. Um, and, yeah, it sounds like a better way to deal th- with things than how we deal with them now. Um, so what what was your your biggest takeaway from the book? My biggest takeaway from the book was uh, the idea that we don't, in our current criminal justice system, we don't acknowledge the impact of, like a criminal does not acknowledge their in, the impact of their actions on other people. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the way the system is currently built. You are encouraged to plead guilty to something, but not necessarily the crime that you did. So there's a lot of denial built into the system, right? So like when you talk to people in jail, you could talk to a hundred people in jail before one of them says, I killed a guy, you know, Mm -hmm. you would talk to them and they would say, Oh, my lawyer made a mistake. Oh, I was, you know, forced to take this plea bargain. Oh, you know, Mm -hmm. and that doesn't encourage anyone to change who they are. Mm. You know, creating a system where if you plead guilty to a crime, you face the crime that you did will, in the long run, make our country a place where people don't repeat their crimes, hopefully. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, especially because you think about like, you know, so many people, like you said, get charged with things that aren't necessarily the main thing that they did, but they, you know, get off on a plea deal or this or that. And so it's hard to have, I guess, accountability when, when you're not, you might not even be sure exactly what you did wrong because, you know, you're told that you're going to prison for this reason, but you may actually be being sent there for some other reason. Yeah. It's better to just face what actually happened and tell the truth. And in our current system, the truth is really treated as secondary to mm. people incarcerated. So was there anything else you wanted to share about the book before we move on to what else you've been reading? Uh, no, I think that covers it other than there are some great policy suggestions and I think everyone should read it so that they can come to their own conclusions about, you know, future policy and what we should be urging our elected officials to take into account. Yeah, it's like when the authors have suggestions like that, because, you know, there's a lot of things that we have problems about that you're like, all right, well, how do we fix this? And it's good when they have ideas. So. Yeah, the whole second half of the book is ideas on what we can do next. You know, this good. Is, <laughs> does a nonprofit um, that already works with restorative justice. So she's got a lot of plans. Okay. So what else have you been reading uh, during quarantine? Well, I have also been reading my longtime comfort read, which is Terry Pratchett's Discworld, which is like 65 books so <laughs> out there for anyone. They're all on both Hoopla and Overdrive. Um, and, you know, it's one of those series that it doesn't matter where you happen. So don't start at the front. Just 
whatever is available now or whatever strikes your fancy. I think the first one I ever read was Masquerade, which is a parody of Phantom of the Opera. I know a lot of theater people. So yeah, all the witches books are parodies of different, you know, famous theatrical works. Like Mm -hmm. the first one is Macbeth. It's, you know, and then they do different ones or like you like, news if you're focused on the news lately there's one called the truth that's about what if dwarves invented a printing press in a fantasy universe and somebody started a newspaper like it's the first newspaper in a fantasy world and that's fun too yeah i've actually been watching good omens which i got from the library we have a copy on dvd and i'm almost done with it so if anybody else wants to check it out and i've been enjoying it it's pretty funny that is also a great that's a great book I love that book too. I haven't read the book yet. And now that I'm watching the show, I'm like, I need to read this book. Um, I've read a lot of the, the Dis- Discworld books, but uh, this is like the the Terry Pratchett Neil Gaiman thing. I haven't haven't done any of those. So yeah, I'm yeah. excited to check it out. That's great. Uh, <laughs> I think that show is one of the good ab- adaptations too, because so much of Terry Pratchett is the jokes, like the, yeah. the little jokes. But in that show, you get to have God telling those jokes. So you can really yes. make it cinematic and it works, which I like. Yeah. 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 Um, and then, like you said, you work for McFliss and you were going to potentially talk to us about some digital resources. So what would you like to share about digital resources? Maybe some questions that you've been getting a lot of uh, through the help desk lately. Absolutely. Um, so... And everyone has probably noticed, but on County Cat, uh, there is a little link to the different resources we have available during the quarantine, and many of them have been extended. So if you have Hoopla, instead of four checkouts, you have eight checkouts. Another uh, popular thing that we have added for the quarantine is you can access Ancestry online through County Cat. You do have to use the links on County Cat, though. So you can't just go to Ancestry.com and use your library card. Please go first to countycat.mcfliss.org and use the links there, and you can get on Ancestry. Um, And then also, I would like to remind everyone that if you haven't signed up for Hoopla before and you are signing up for the first time, please do choose the library of your residence. So if you come to Shorewood all the time and you love us and we love you, but you live in the city of Milwaukee, you do have to choose Milwaukee. Um, I've been getting a lot of calls from some of you out there who I know and love from the front desk at Shorewood Library even. Uh, Please be sure to choose your municipality, not just the library that you go to most often. And then finally, we've added another really exciting service. Um, If you like RB Digital and our magazines, we've added 3,000 new titles to those. So check those out if you haven't checked them out in a while. And if that's not enough magazines and newspapers for you, we've also added Press Reader just for the quarantine. Um, It's a special service that lets you read popular newspapers and magazines. You know, it's got the LA Times and Newsweek and all sorts of other publications you might not be able to access otherwise. So if you haven't taken a look at the digital resources on County Cat lately, please 
check them out and see if there's anything we can do to keep you entertained. And if you have any questions about those digital resources, please feel free to email me at helpdesk at mcpliss.org or to call me at 286-3520. Uh, yeah, one thing I'll add about PressReader is it has a lot of newspapers from other countries as well. So if you're looking for things in, in other languages, it's a great resource for that. Well, thank you very much for being here with us, Kate. Um, I hope you are doing well, and we will see you at the library soon, hopefully through the windows, um, now that we're doing curbside pickup. Absolutely. You might have seen me on Thursday, and you'll see me again on Saturday. So stay well, Lisa. Now we'll move on to what Nick's been reading. So Nick, what have you been reading? Uh, so I just finished listening to uh, the audiobook version of No Is Not Enough by Naomi Klein. Uh, Naomi Klein is a senior correspondent for The Intercept and a frequent contributor to The New York Times, The Guardian, and The Nation. Uh, she's a respected journalist and author. I discovered her work in an independent bookstore in Chicago in 2006 or 2007. Um, her first book, No Logo, was a critique of global capitalism and the rise of brands. It looked at how many corporations divested themselves from manufacturing and outsourced production to the lowest bidder while focusing their efforts on selling you on the idea or even better, a lifestyle. Uh, her second major book, The Shock Doctrine, focused on a concept called disaster capitalism, an indictment of the economic theories of famed economist Milton Friedman. Friedman saw the disorientation people feel during mass crisis as an opportunity to ram through draconian economic policies and to transfer public services like education to the free market for profiteering. Her third book, This Changes Everything, focuses on the global climate crisis. No is Not Enough is not one of these major journalistic works. Instead, it references those works to contextualize the rise of Trump and similar leaders and their political tactics around the world. Uh, the first section, how we got here, the rise of the super brands, focuses on Trump from the 80s and 90s to The Apprentice and to uh, his presidency. She goes into Trump as he built his brand, which for many reflects tough talk, ostentatious wealth, winners and losers, and simply taking what you want. She breaks down the art of the deal and his vocal belief that a good deal is not one where both parties walk away happy, but instead one where leverage is applied so that one side is a clear winner and the other is the loser. Being underhanded and breaking promises also appear to be fair, fair play. She talks about his stint with the WWE giving him the tools of showmanship that set him up for The Apprentice and how he honed these uh, for his presidency. It's a fascinating analysis and gives understanding to his obsession with ratings. Uh, the second part, where we are now, climate of inequality, looks at a variety of intersectional issues starting with climate change and how it disproportionately affects black and brown people here and around the world. She talks about the sowing of divisions and how inequality is used to other people and heighten those rifts with assertions of quote unquote invaders at our borders and quote unquote terrorists in our midst. She talks about the reinforcement of social hierarchies that we need to be breaking down. The third part, how it could get worse, the shocks to come, brings attention to how masterfully this administration dominates the news cycle and thrives on keeping us dizzy and disoriented. She predicts in this section that a crisis is inevitable and how we might prepare for the subsequent shocks. Here we are though, and the pandemic is unlike anything she first saw in 2017 when the book was released. Uh, the final section, how things could get better, focuses on all the grassroots movements and the hope they bring. From her experiences at Standing Rock, witnessing the fight against the uh, Trans Mountain Pipeline and the organizing efforts of Black Lives Matter. 
It is within intersectional coalitions and a willingness to dream big that she sees hope for our future. So do you think that you need to read uh, both The Shock Doctrine and This Changes Everything in order to get this book? Or, or is it something that you can just pick up on its own and still be able to get what's going on? That, that is a good question. And uh, she does go to great lengths to explain uh, the uh, premises of those earlier works um, uh, before she goes into a chapter. Mm-hmm. Uh, that way, uh, somebody who's uh, coming into this uh Fresh will still be able to understand what's going on. It should be noted that uh, this uh, work is a collection of her uh, Intercept and Guardian articles okay. um, that uh, is then woven into a uh, cohesive narrative. Okay, cool. Um, and then, how did you listen? Or you, did you listen to this book, or did you did you yeah, read a, a, I li- I a copy? Yeah, I listened to it on Hoopla. And then we also have a physical copy available at the library, right? I think yes. you had brought that home. Yes, I, I, I have both in my possession because I'm a <laughs> terrible person. You're not a terrible person. Uh, we'll, we'll be returning the book to the library soon so other people can check it out. Um, was there anything else you wanted to add about the book? Um, I just, I, I think that reading things like this as heavy as it is are very important. Um, it is easier to digest something heavy like this uh, while doing the dishes or something like that, um, so that you're you're listening, you know, the same way that you would, you know, watch the news. You've you've got you've got the news going, but you're uh, you're working on something else at the same time, um, because honestly, it, it, there's there's a lot to digest and it's very heavy. Um, in fact, uh, I think after after this book, I'm going to jump to uh, either some some pulp fantasy or some uh, some more music-related books because I need a break. That makes sense. So you mentioned that this book is really heavy, um, which makes sense considering the subject matter, but does she leave room for hope? Um, you know, I know that we talked about Utopia for Realists in a previous episode, and you talked about how that author had a lot of ideas about ways that we could change things, and I'm curious as to what, what Naomi Klein has to say. Yeah, she, uh, she actually, uh, the, the whole fourth section is all about um, the way to resist uh, the shock politics and uh, uh, ways to uh, to create intersectional uh, coalitions in order to uh, in order to fight these things um, so it does end on a very hopeful note one of the things that uh, that she focused heavily on in, in those in that last section is something that she participated in called the Leap Project, uh, which was a uh, a thing in Canada where they uh, had gotten together a bunch of of activists and thinkers, and uh, you know came up with a uh, you know a, a set of demands. This is what we want, um, and attempted to uh, pressure uh, the uh, political parties in Canada in order to. Uh, to you know get their voices heard and it it is something that apparently has been adopted by a a number of different organizations and communities uh, and repurposed and I think that's that's a a really interesting concept um, and something that that does give give a little bit of hope Um, you know hopefully uh, hopefully people uh, you know use this as a springboard and the ideas in this book as a springboard in order to uh, forge ahead yeah, I, I overheard some of the last bits of the book, and I thought it was really interesting when she was talking about how people want to put 
other people first, you know, but essentially the government says a government that puts people first over other things isn't something that'll necessarily work. And I thought it was really interesting that she said that a lot of organizations in Canada and political parties from, or people from different political parties were using the LEAP project to further their goals and not just, you know, on a national level, but also on a local level with like electing school board representatives and and local representatives as well and thinking about what do they want long-term and how do they get that and what does our future look like? Yep. So if you're interested in checking out No Is Not Enough, that will be on the library shelves soon. Uh, We will be returning it uh, in the next few days, and then it will go into a three-day quarantine, and then you can check it out if you're interested. Also, I believe that Until We Reckon by Danielle Sered is only available as a book uh, from the libraries, and unfortunately it's not available at Shorewood, but it looked like North Shore had a copy if you're interested in that, which is the book that Kate was talking about. And like she said, Discworld is available on Hoopla and Libby if you're interested in those. Virtual events. Join Miss Heidi on Facebook on Tuesdays for Rhyme Time Tuesday. Share some of your favorite finger rhymes, lap bounces, and clapping games with your little ones. Join New York Times bestselling author Kelly Yang on Instagram Live at Kelly Yang HK every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday from 2 to 2.30 p.m. CST for free online writing classes for teens. Art Cart Online. We know you miss our weekly art cart and we miss you. Every Wednesday, Miss Susan posts instructions for fun art projects you can make at home. Check our calendar and social media pages for instructions. This podcast is available for streaming on iTunes, Spotify, and Podbean. If you have any questions or comments for the hosts, email us at shorewoodstacks at gmail.com. Until next week, thanks for listening and be well. The Shorewood Stacks is produced by Lisa Quintero and Nick Barron, with musical excerpts by Kevin McLeod. The name of this song is Ice Flow and can be found at incompetech.com.